I think we won two games my senior year, and here I am, hardly have played any football in my life. And then you tend to get drafted fourth overall. I remember thinking to myself, wow, you know, I've done the impossible. And then to go get cut two weeks after starting my pro career, never playing one game for them after being their number one draft pick. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody. Let's go. I sell products, not advertising. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're getting out, you're just getting in, you're only getting started. People will think what I tell them to think. Oh, have I got your attention now? You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. This guy's got the right idea. Why don't we begin? Locked and ready. Bombs away. Welcome back or welcome to Pod Sessions with me, your host, Mitch Fanning. For those listening for the first time, in this podcast, I cover a variety of subjects, including business, marketing, and personal growth. In today's session, I catch up with my old college teammate, Angus Reed, who recently retired from pro football after having an amazing 13-year career in the CFL with the BC Lions, which included being a two-time Grey Cup champion. But what makes Angus's story so interesting is the fact that he didn't even start playing football until the 11th grade. He actually also missed three out of the five college seasons that he played with a severe stomach ailment, only to make it back for his senior year, where he went on to become an All-American. He then was picked fourth overall in the draft by the Toronto Argonauts in 2001, only to be cut after his first training camp, just two weeks after he started his pro career. And during our conversation, Angus talks about what it took to not only fulfill his seemingly impossible dream, but to do it longer than most. Today, Angus has become more than just a football player. He talks across North America about what it takes to make your dreams a reality. He's also got a book coming out in the fall called Thank You Coach, which is about the power of mentorship and how sports can help you win the game of life. So without further ado, let's get into it. The great and powerful Angus Reed. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this, man. This is, uh, I've, I've actually been, you know, pretty excited to catch up with you and, and just talk a little bit since, uh, kind of, we connected on email. That's my pleasure, Mitch. It has been too long. I know it's, it's, you know, obviously it's been 18 years or so, but yeah, I think I actually saw you, I, I thought I saw you play live once in Toronto. I think it was the Oh four great cup. And uh, just like kind of all the guys who, who um, you know, I played with at SFU and, and end up going pro, you know, I've kept loose tabs on you guys and, you know, followed your your, your careers. Uh, but what was interesting, you know, obviously you've had an amazing career, but, you know, the whole time I've kind of been watching, it's, it's, it was like I, I knew kind of the, the, the backstory. And, you know, for me, I just kept going, man, like this is, this is unbelievable that, you know, I'm so, I'm so like, literally like no, knowing you personally, I was like, I'm so proud of this guy for getting to that point. Uh, but you know, before we kind of get into that, it, obviously it didn't start out this way, right? There was like a, a really a lot of bumps along the way, some health issues, you know, you were, in, when you first got into the league, obviously, you, you know, I, I, again, this is from just, you know, looking at your website and just talking, considered too small kind of, you know, it, it, so, but really before we get into that, let's just set it up, you know, help me paint the picture here like, by talking, how did you actually start, you know, getting into football? Well, I'm one of six kids. I'm the youngest of five boys. So I have four older brothers that I, I looked up to as heroes. They were a little bit older than me. My mom had four under the age of three. So you can have fun doing the math there. There, there are twins there. And then there was a, you know, a five year gap to myself and then a six year gap to my sister. So I had this clump of four older brothers that I kind of followed around and wanted to be like, and they all played sports. So my upbringing was uh, getting dragged around to 
soccer tournaments, basketball tournaments, football games. I mean, it's all I knew. I, my whole life was being the ball boy, being the team mascot, uh, being the kid they gave the third place trophy to because they didn't want it. And, and, and just <laughs> looking up to these guys as, as heroes and being able to have access to their world, you know, being able to go to the locker room for high school, high school players. And these guys were all stars. And to me, they were, they were celebrities and I'm, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. And so that's what I wanted to do. I mean, it's, it's what I knew. It's what I loved. And it's what I dreamed of being just like them. And so I, I pursued that at a young age and played basketball or whatever, whatever other sports school had. And yeah, I was a big kid too. Let's, let's not kid yourself. I was, a, you know, I was big, well, let's call yeah. it a big fat kid. I was a big fat kid. I was, I was a hundred pounds in the first grade and I wasn't exactly uh, uh, tall. So I was, I was robust, I guess a good word would be. And, but I loved it. I had fun playing sports. I mimicked my, my heroes, and, which a lot of them were my brothers and my, and their friends. And I enjoyed every second of it. Fun, happy childhood, <clears throat> you know, pretending to be what I wanted to be when I grew up. But what a lot of people don't know is when I entered high school, I got really sick and, and, you know, long story short, my appendix blew and I'm so stupid and stubborn. I, I didn't tell my parents cause I didn't want to, you know, be a sissy in the, in the house and tell people I have a stomach ache. I didn't know what really happened. And yeah, I let exactly. that go for six days. And, and so oh, anybody wow. that knows anything about a blown appendix, uh, you let that go for six days. You shouldn't be doing podcasts 25 years later. You're probably done. <laughs> and it, it kind of speaks to the stubbornness, I guess, of my own body that I didn't die shockingly. But, you know, I got rushed up to hospital and and had a really, really long, scary bout there where, uh, you know, you were we were just holding on, hoping I'd make it. And, and I was there for weeks and I kind of withered away. And there was a point where I was going to throw in the towel and I didn't have any fight left. And my mom pulled me through and my family made sure I stuck through this and didn't give up on myself. And and we got better. But what happened was when I came back to school, I wasn't this giant, happy, confident kid anymore. I was a, a skinny shell of myself that lacked self-confidence and, and, and that kind of lost all my, my ability to dream and have confidence in my dream. And I, I just kind of drifted through school. I didn't play any sports in, in really? the ninth grade or the 10th grade. I mean, listen, I, I did nothing. I was, I was uh, kind of a ghost. It just sort of walked around the hallways and got through life and wasn't motivated, wasn't, wasn't driven, uh, and, and, and kind of lost all that all that um, confidence of my youth that I had and those visions and those dreams. And looking back now, it's, it's crazy to know what I got accomplished. I didn't, I didn't play any sports and I, and I wasn't a happy kid and I didn't have many friends. And finally I kind of triggered in me heading into the 11th grade that I got to do something with my life. And, and football was, is, was kind of the one sport that, that I, it was still available to me. Let me put it that way. I, my TEDx talk that I gave in 2016 speaks volumes to that where you know, if you're, if you're not a great athlete, which I, I was okay, I was an average athlete, but I hadn't played any sports and you hadn't done anything. And now you're still going to the 11th grade. Where do you go? You know, I, I'm not going to try out for the varsity basketball team. Now I'm not going to play hockey. Now I don't even know how to skate. So football was available. Uh, two of my older brothers were very successful in that sport. So I knew it from a fan's perspective. I loved it from a, from a fan's perspective. And, and it was one of those sports that was available to still just kind of show up and you're going to make the team because they, they, they let anyone come out. And so I, I took that opportunity and almost immediately the sport took me in. People were good. The senior players were, were kind, inviting, and I felt at home. And all of a sudden that, that youthful energy and, and those abilities to dream like I did when I was a kid and visualize what I wanted to do all came rushing back. And, and I, was, I was in, hook, line, and sinker. I wanted to be a football player. And from that moment on, when I hit the 11th grade, it was about dedicating my life to 
you know, doing what, what, whatever I, whatever I got to do and finding out what that means and then the how and surrounding myself with people that are, that are doing it, that I want to be more like, and, you know, learning how to weight lift and get bigger and, and just watch football. And I just, I, it consumed my life, which was really great because it kept me out of trouble. It gave me a, it gave me a goal to shoot for, but more importantly, it gave me something that I, that just energized me. And I felt excited about life again. And I look back again, Mitch, and I don't know how I pulled it off, but you know, I was a late bloomer, wasn't extremely uh, dominant of an athlete. I just sort of grinded my way. I didn't even get on the field till the second last game of my 11th grade. I was a real grinder. Like I just showed up, worked hard every day. Every day got a little bit better, poured everything I had into it. And by my senior year, I'd become a pretty good high school football player. Not, not a blue chip, all, you know, not an all-star wanted by everyone in the world, but just, just good enough, yeah. good enough to, to be looked at by the local schools. And, and I was fortunate that the Simon Fraser, I think they understood two of my brothers had great success there. So there was an opportunity that I, I might be able to, to be something like that. Cause I was still very raw, but I was good enough. I was big enough. I was everything enough. I was, I was enough to keep yeah. going to the next level. And I, I tell people all, all the time, I was, I was, I was always at the bottom of the ladder, but I knew how to climb, which was okay. It was, I was enough. I was enough to keep going. And, and that's what I needed to do because I needed time to, to, to really see how far I could go. And I got in and I got the scholarship and off I went to university uh, and things looked pretty good. You know, they redshirted me and I got, you know, go get bigger kid. Like they tell all the red shirts, <laughs> here's, here's the weight room here. Here's the lunchroom, you know, do your thing. And so I, I went after it and I'm very, I'm very bullheaded. I'm very determined very stubborn and I'm not very good at moderation. So once I want something, I'm all in probably beyond healthy, healthy limits. I just go. So if it's get bigger, then let's just lift all the time. Uh, if it's need to get heavier, uh, let's eat all the time, right? Like there yeah. was no, there was well, no. Well, I remember those days. Balance. I remember yeah. those days and you were definitely, you know, and that, and the thing is, I mean, that's, you know, you know, we're simplifying it, but that's part of the ingredients that it takes to, to be, to be successful. I want, I kind of want to touch upon, you know, your, your thoughts. Cause I do remember, and I actually watched that, that talk. Uh, and I also had the same experience with, with, uh, with high school, you know, it was, it was interesting. Cause I always say to, to my wife, you know, you know, now I'm doing triathlons and totally against my, like my body type. <laughs> uh, and I would say like, I was built to like throw and push around heavy things. Like that was my, that's my body type. So yeah, it's we're funny. human fire hydrants. Yeah. Yeah. So I always say that, but and it's funny, you know, looking at my kids and I have, I have older kids who have gone, gone through uh, high school. My son did play football, but I did notice that the football, uh, the football programs have, you know, have lost some steam, at least where, where I live. And it's, I, I'm kind of, I, I know that there's some challenges with, with the sport, uh, and we won't have to, we don't have to get into that. But the point is, I, I feel that there's something about football and you kind of mentioned in your, in your speech, you know, you know, you know, there's like the grind, you know, having that structure. And I think this structure, even at Simon Fraser gave me, you know, because we had to be on that routine kind of, I've used that throughout my life and, and just belonging to something. And so what are your actual thoughts? And we, we don't have to kind of go down a rabbit hole, but what are your, what are your thoughts about kind of the, the future of youth football and its importance? Well, the importance is, is massive. The future is uncertain. And I think it takes people like yourself or like, like me and yourself and other people that understand what the benefits of it are to do what we have to do to make sure that there is a future for this sport. And, and I think I think some of the things that have come up 
you, know, you talk about concussions and, and all the other fears that have been that have been brought out are, are good things because you know the, the sport needs to evolve it needs to grow it can't stay in the dark ages or else it dies so it's been good to, to bring things to light so we can update and, and improve the sport but we have to be extremely careful not to throw out everything because we're scared because one of the beautiful things of football and, I, and you can you know anyone that wants to know my a lot of my thoughts you listen to my tedx talk but there's you know the it includes people it it, it, it lets and i'll it, add that so to many the people show notes. and all that stuff yeah but here's here's the one thing i think about football that is a big separator from so many other sports is it's really hard it, it's difficult and i think today's uh, you know for for today's kids or when we were young too we needed you need challenge you need something that's really difficult that's not fun right away or easy right away or you score all the time where there's always rewards every five seconds of doing it most of football you don't score most of football uh, isn't glamorous most of football is just practice you know you don't play all the time the lights aren't always on the fans aren't always cheering most of the sport is done in the place of of quiet work where people aren't cheering you on praising you and saying how great it is or you're not getting instant gratification of scoring 60 points in a game as a team you you fight very hard to score once Mm-hmm. And then you fight like crazy not to let out someone else score once. And to prepare for that ability takes days and days and weeks and weeks of month of preparation that nobody really sees. And I think the value in that on a psychological level is massive to prepare kids for what life is really about. And, you know, people love to use the word the grind, but it's just it's it's the daily disciplines of of working hard at things. And not to display on Instagram or to show your buddies or to make sure everyone knows how great you are. Just because that's what life takes. That's what greatness takes. And I think that is a, a powerful thing to install in our youth. And then on the physical side, it's also hard physically. So, you know, you're going to challenge yourself to say, listen, this is you – know, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to have a championship. People love to, to, to be all-stars. But are you willing to put your body through strenuous work that isn't fun uh, all the time? Again and again and again and again, and it becomes boring and monotonous and, and, and really repetitive. And most people say, this isn't fun. They say, no, that's not what life is about. It's about doing what you have to do 100%. to achieve yeah, 100% to, to achieve things that are worthy of, of, of having real pride in yourself. Not fake pride, not, 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 not showman pride, but the real one where you put your, your head down on your pillow at night exhausted because you've poured everything into something that most people never even saw you do. To me, yeah. that is powerful, okay? And that's something that needs to be taught and it can't be told to kids. That, that They can only be learned by doing that. And you talk to people, why do you think, you know, what did you say? It's probably been 18 or 20 years since, since we've really chatted, but we pick up just like that, Mitch, Absolutely. because we did that every day where most of the world doesn't or won't or can't. And it separates you because we don't have to speak about that because we know. We know that I knew that you and I, or you, you know that I did and I know that you did, went out every day and worked our butt off doing stuff that no one ever is going to know about. But we know. And because that's the stuff that matters. That's the stuff that you bond over. That's the stuff that makes you someone that I can call up and trust because I've seen you do the stuff that really mattered not to show anybody, but just because that's what you do. Exactly. I, I couldn't. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's the, and like you said, besides the physicalness, it just, the things, and like you said, and that was, I actually said that to my wife uh, after we had our first call on uh, a couple of days ago. I'm like, it's very interesting. And it wasn't, it's, it hasn't just been you. And there hasn't been a lot of people that I've kind of 
kept in touch, which is another, you know, for another day. But the point is we connected. It was just like 18 years hadn't even gone by. It was like, boom. It was like weird, weird. And back in Raven's cafe, I'm eating pancakes, right? Yeah. And and you can't, (laughs) and there's not too many, you know, people like, you know, you know, again, there's not too many people that you can just have that instant connection with, but it's the guys that you like have struggled with. You know, you've, you've worked beside you, you, you know, so absolutely hundred percent. And the thing is, you know, we talk about that struggle. So like, you know, getting in, getting into SFU, Simon Fraser, you know, you obviously scholarship, uh, big promise, but again, like you missed three out of the three years, three years. And it it was obviously due to a a severe stomach ailment linked to the Crohn's disease. But, um, you know, and and you made it back to your 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 obviously your se- senior season, but you hadn't played since I th- what like ninety five when you redshirted, uh, and then I think you you played what ninety nine two thousand. Correct. So I yeah I, re- I I came in in ninety four when I redshirted, so I never played a game. And then I think you you were a, a, a freshman in ninety five. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my redshirt freshman year. So I mean, it was my freshman year technically for playing, and I and I started, <clears throat> but you know I went to Simon Fraser at about two hundred and let's call it 240 pounds. And, and I had visions already, <clears throat> excuse me, and goals of, of becoming a professional football player. And I knew that world in the offensive line meant, you know, in that 300 pound kind of range to, to be that world. And I'm, I'm only six foot one, which is, is fine for a college player, but we all know at the professional level, that's pretty exactly. short. So yeah. <clears throat> you had to pack in 300 pounds uh, pretty, pretty firmly. And so there was two ways to do that. And that was lift heavy weights and, and consume lots of food. And, you know, this is mid nineties and, and we didn't have a ton of, of sports nutrition. It was, no. it was just, you know, you know, eat and carbs were great and lift heavy and, and whatever. And so that's what I did because it was the best information I had at hand. And, and, and you know, we remember we didn't have sophisticated trainers or nutritional support. It was just sort of, you know, do what you got to do to play football. So like I said, I'm all, I'm an all in kind of guy. <laughs> so I lifted as hard as I possibly could every single day. And I ate as much food as I possibly could every single day. And I, I tell this story and we all know my old, my old roommate, Carson Coughlin, our buddies that he yep. was a former offensive lineman that we all went to school with. He, uh, I took a nutrition course. I think it was Kines 110, 110, I think nutrition. Anyways, I took they made us, yeah, we all took it. Right. And, and we had to keep this, uh, nutrition log of what you were eating. And they were going to fail me because they didn't believe that I was eating 10,000 <laughs> calories a day. And I had to bring in Carson, my roommate, to, like, to validate. Like a witness. Yes, like uh, to, to verify, <laughs> validate. No. And he's he a lawyer 20... now, so he would, he'd be the good guy. You know. Correct. You know, and they're like, no, he ate 24 pancakes this morning. And he used this two-liter carton of egg whites instead of instead of water for the mix. And, and, I, and I used baby food in my shakes because it was pre-digested so I could consume more calories. Like it was insane what I did. And the issue was, though, because my appendix had blown when I was whatever it was, 12 years old, my liver was shot since I was a kid. And so you start ramming 10,000 calories a day down. You can't you can't yeah. process that. My, my organs were not healthy. And so, you know, I got bigger and stronger that redshirt year and I'm up to 275 pounds or whatever. And it just shut down again. And my in, my, my body all of a sudden had these ulcers all through my stomach. It just didn't want to handle it. I didn't have the health to handle that type of, I don't know anyone that should be able to handle that type of consumption. No. And, uh, you know, to, to compress the story, that was it. I was told, you know, I had to go see gastrointestinal specialists. I was in and out of the hospitals and I was, I couldn't eat anything. And then I was cramped and, 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 and some internal bleeding and it just, it was a mess. 
and I'm missing three years. And, and for two of those years, I'd moved home. And one of those years, I dropped out of school. I, I was bedridden a lot of times. Uh, I had no control of my bowels. I, I, I couldn't eat. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything for fear of, of, of you know, not having any control of, of what would happen to anything I did eat. It was bloated. It was swollen. It was sore. It was, it was a really sad existence. I'd lost, uh, you know, I think I got back down about 210 pounds and I was scrawny. Uh, two and a half years, Mitch, I didn't even lift a weight. You know, this is the prime of your college existence when you, you know, everyone's struggling to become what they want to become. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hang on to a vision and dream that's just falling away and, and the probabilities of doing this are, 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 are leaving me by the moment, you know. I, and there was a time when I kind of thought it was over. Like, you know, every doctor had said, forget about football. Like, you just got to try to get healthy for life and that's going to exactly, be yeah. eating, eating minimal and, and eating bland foods and not pushing yourself. And I'm kind of going, yeah, but that, that kind of sucks. I don't want to do that. And so, you know, I think the appendix story with my parents and my family always taught me to never quit, never give up. And I kept searching for answers and, 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 you know, I, I just didn't quit. And I was very fortunate that I slowly was able to find people that would, that would help me enough to figure out some foods I could eat. And I, I clawed my way back. I clawed my way back and, and I did make it back. You know, it is crazy when you look back everyone looks back on, on their life and they, they have no idea how they're able to pull it off. But, and I, I say the same thing, but it was moment to moment, never quitting, searching for answers instead of, instead of leaning on the problem. And, you know, I did, I made my way back and I was able to return to play with you guys. I think you guys were finishing up your career. And I, I, last time I knew you guys were rookies, it was kind of crazy. It was like, I was this guy that just showed up again and, uh, people, you know, only one year, only your guys class knew who I even was. And I was in my, you know, in my, in my upper class, my seniors of finishing something that no one ever saw me start. Yeah. And, but again, like, you know, like we, you know, the, the fact I, I was, I think we all kind of secretly wanted you to succeed, right? We all kind of wanted to make sure. And when you came back, I think it was to us, you know, we all collectively, you know, we kind of cheered, we cheered for you. Like we were like, you know, the guy kind of made, you know, got, got through, you know, hell and he's, he's here. And the funny, again, I don't, I don't, we, we kind of talked about this and I, we, I don't know, you know, but I think it's important because I did read that blog post, uh, you know, saved by a brother's love. And it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, I'll just read a bit of it. You said like, you know, it's amazing what happens when you're not given a choice, you find ways to get things done. And, and your, your brother, Bruce, you know, didn't give you that option. He said, you're, you're going to play in, in Germany, uh, and, and, uh, you, you know, it, you know, again, you, you, you commented quote, you know, it, it changed my entire mindset and it wasn't easy, but here's the interesting thing, you know, obviously he played a big role in that, but what would you say to, you know, people that kind of don't have people like, like Bruce in their life, uh, you know, how, what, what would you kind of advise them? You know, cause again, this is, we want to gloss over, but this is a, this was a huge thing. Oh I think, yeah, that, that, that you, if you he, got if over. He didn't do that. Yeah, if he didn't do that, I, I don't know if I'd have any story to tell you about about football in my life. So you know, just to compress that story, uh, yeah, I missed three years of university about out about the two and a half year mark. Uh, you know, time was running out. Eligibility. It's like you're going to come back. You're not. And I was scared. I was really scared of trying to do something and failing again. There was a huge emotional fear that if I made a big deal of, you know, Angus is coming back to SFU and you guys were like, he's making it back. And I went out there and my stomach didn't work and I couldn't do it. 
I didn't know if I could handle the buildup and the letdown again. I just didn't, I just didn't know emotionally I could, you know, do that. So my brother Bruce had, had carved out a nice career playing semi-pro in Europe and he'd been in Germany for five, six years and he'd been playing over there and having a lot of fun and still, you know, stretching out a football career. And he came home for Christmas and, you know, I'm two and a half years into not playing and I'm, and I'm kind of wavering. Can I do this? Can I not? And he's just one of those guys that said, screw it. You're coming over to Germany with me. And he had the kind of power over there because he was a bit of a star that said, look, I'm bringing my brother over to play with us. And they're like, well, if he's your brother, then he's got to be good like you. So I, I was very fortunate there. And he didn't give me a choice. He said, you're coming over. And here, here's the thing. If you can't do it, nobody's going to know who you are over there anyway. So there's no embarrassment. And he gave me a nice uh, kind of tester, if you Lower will. Lower friction. Yeah, yeah. What do we call low risk practice almost? You know, yeah, okay. I get to, you know, how bad is this? I get to go see Germany. That's kind of cool. You get to play some football. And if it works, I can come home and finish my career. And if it doesn't work, a bunch of Germans no, I can't play football, who I don't know anyways, and don't speak English, so whatever, right? So that was amazing, and I went over there, and, and it was hard. Don't misunderstand me. My, it wasn't like my stomach magically appeared because I, I, I crossed borders. It was really hard, but what I learned was you can still do it even though it's hard. You can work around the problems, and, and yeah, I, the coaches knew I had to sometimes sprint off the field because that's what I had to do because I, I had to leave because my – I don't have total control of my body. And sometimes I had to lie in bed because my stomach was so bloated I couldn't move. But I could get up and keep going. And my brother wouldn't let me feel sorry for myself. He goes, we got practice. Let's go. We'll deal with whatever problems hit. You're going to get – you're going to keep going. And so for about three, four months, I, I played kind of half a season there. And I realized, okay, I can do this. It's not always easy, but this is what I want to do. And I told the coaches I, I want to head home. And then I, I called Coach Beaton, our college coach, yours and my college coach at SFU, and said, look, I, I want to come back to play. And it was crazy because I don't think he'd heard from me in three years. But to answer your question, you know, because not everybody's as fortunate as I was to, or I am to have to have brothers or a family that can grab me by the neck and just say, you're, you're, you're coming forward. I'm not going to let you fall back. I, I think it's important to sometimes you got to give yourself no other option. And that's, you know, maybe that's not good advice, but it's what I believe is, it's amazing what you can get done if you have to do it. And so I still had an out. I was, and then he didn't give me the out. He said, no, you're coming forward. So somehow put yourself, if it really is what you're going to do, uh, you know, don't leave yourself any room to give yourself an out. And guess what? You'll find a way to do it because there is no other option. And, and that's not the advice people love to give people. They want people to have options in life. But I'm learning now and the more options you have, uh, the less you do anything because you, you can always waver. And if it gets hard, you have other choices. And if this, your, if this is what you're going to do, you cut all the other strings, uh, you're going to find a way. Or if you can't, you're not going to have any excuses why you didn't. You will maximize your attempt at it because there was, enough, there was no other way. And that sounds extreme, but I think we'll agree that you know, you know, wanting to make it as a pro football player or any other career that is you know, really reserved for a very low percentage of people, you have to be all in. You know, yeah. or, or at least I had to be. I, I wasn't six foot six with a you know a forty two inch vertical leap where you know, they were going to give me the job either way. I was an outsider trying to push in. So if I had lots of other options, what it was going to take me to get there, I wouldn't have done because I had other options. And so I get into a point where my family just said, "Screw it, you're doing this." Uh, you know, you do what your brothers say, the older brothers, anyways. And so I did it. And I, some days I didn't want to, and he kept pulling me forward. And then you realize, wow, you can't. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. If, if it's what you want to do, you don't stop. You keep finding answers. As long as there's an answer out there, you will find it, uh, or at least you'll exhaust every single possibility. But if you have other options, it gets hard. You might not. And then one day you look back and go, I wish I tried a little bit harder. So find a way to 
uh, not give yourself outs. And the big thing I tell people, and this again goes against a lot of people's advice is, you know, a lot of people say, keep your, keep your dreams quiet. You know, don't, don't tell people everything, you know, don't be talking about it all the time. Just keep it in the dark. I, I, I'm a big public accountability guy. I tell everybody everything I'm going to do all the time. And people are like, Oh, you're always talking about what you're going to do. Yeah. I, I, I gotta, agree with that. 100%. Now I got to do it right now. I, I want you to call me out on it every day because now I got to show up and you're going to look at me and go, yeah, I remember all the stuff you talked about. Yeah, I'm doing it because if I don't tell anybody, then nobody can hold me accountable. And I love to tell everybody what I'm going to do again and again and again, because I, I have some pride. I got to do it. <laughs> I, I don't want to be the guy that, Talking about stuff and not doing it. So I think it's big. You you let the people know what you're going to do. You tell them what you're exactly going to do and, and ask them to help and hold you accountable and, and make sure you do it because that's not going to give you an out now because nobody wants to be that guy talks and talks and doesn't do anything. So, you know, my family knew I wanted to make it back, but I just was wavering. So they said, okay, you want to do it? You're coming with me and you're going to play. So if you don't have that, you got to find that. So you got to find a way to to not give yourself an out, whether that's telling your friends or your family, or nowadays you can make it public or, you know, you got to put yourself out there. So, so you got to keep going. So you can't hide and, and give yourself easy outs and, 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 and say, well, I didn't really want to do that anyways. No, make it a big deal. Make, let people know what you're going to do and, and make yourself accountable to what you said. So you'll actually go out and do what it takes. And, and to your point, you know, again, this, this it, to, to someone may be silly, but the reason why I I put things, uh, say for example, on Instagram isn't isn't really to put things out on Instagram. It's actually to create accountability. The reason I say I'm doing a triathlon, or you know, I'm doing even when I started this podcast, I kind of let it is because it was kind of my trigger to say, you know, shit. If if I didn't, if I don't do this, uh, if I don't show the outcome. Uh, then, you know, I'm going to be again, like you said, that guy or gal who's like, wow, he, he's saying all this, but he doesn't do it. So in a way, in a, in a very small way, it, it just creates that stakes. It creates that accountability. So you're hundred percent. I think that's I couldn't agree more. I yeah. couldn't agree more. You got, you got to throw that gauntlet down. I, I'm not a big fan of these people. You know, they tell these kids to, to keep their goals private and work quietly, put them up there. You know, I think, I think you got to put your goals up on the board. No different, Mitch, than, you know, even if you, if, if your goal is one that, that, you know, people always say, don't compare yourself to other people. But you know what? If you're in any type of career that other people are also pursuing, you're automatically compared to other people. So I want to know what the best you're doing. And I'm going to throw my gauntlet up to, to match or exceed that and, and, and have it be competitive to get there and never let that leave my mind because that's going to be, uh, you know, my, my decision making for every moment because that's what I want to get done. And this is where I'm at compared to all the people that are better than me. So, you know, what am I going to eat today? Am I going to sleep in? I'm going to get up. Well, if that's always top of mind and always visual and always known, it's going to dictate your actions to drive yourself to getting closer to that place. And I think if you don't make it public, it becomes very easy to change it, to forget it, to alter it, to fit whatever emotional state you're in. But you make it public and you make it big, all of a sudden, you know, you have to adapt to whatever you got to do to keep pushing forward and not let your goals adapt to how you feel today because that to me is just nonsense. Yeah, again it's that that's not giving you another option. It's not giving you right. the option. So burn the boats, right? <laughs> uh, burn burn the ships on at the beach. Yeah. So we kind of move into, you know, you know, again, so 2000 and you become that all mar- so again, this that itself is is an unbelievable uh, turnaround. But then you get into kind of you get you know first round draft, fourth overall, uh, two thousand and one, uh, and you kind of go on and play thirteen years. 
I don't know how you stayed stayed so durable, but uh, we'll get into that. But the interesting thing is you get cut by yeah. by the Argonauts. First so, round draft pick. <laughs> so first round. So what was your like mental state or self talk at that point when you kind of get through this whole part of you know you get through this 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 obstacle you get your you're you're on this high of coming off all american and then you get cut what you know what was it at that point how were you feeling at that point done uh you know i when i do my keynotes when i talk to businesses and schools about what it takes and i, I talk a lot about that that sort of i don't make goals I, I create visions i'm a bigger fan of visions and i tell them to people but i have it burning in my head like i can see exactly what i'm gonna do because that way it can't leave me and and so you know, I was at that low when my brother Bruce yanked me to Germany and said, you're going to do this. And then you're right. You know, I made it back as an All-American. You know, I think we won two games my senior year. And here I am, hardly have played any football in my life. It was amazing. And then you tend to get drafted fourth overall. I remember thinking to myself, wow, you know, I've done the impossible. And now I've made it. You know, I, I really thought I was something. And that's not, not, not that I got carried away by ego, but I really felt validated that I can do anything. This is incredible what I've been able to do. And then to go get cut two weeks after starting my pro career, never playing one game for them after being their number one draft pick. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody. You hit this bottom. And I, I remember being in Toronto, phoning home to my parents, telling them, you know, look, I've just been cut. I, I, I think, I don't think I got what it takes to be a pro football player. My dad, who had always kind of challenged me through my life when, when I was down with my stomach issues, he'd always ask me, you know, what's, what's your vision now? Cause I'd always boast them. I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. And my dad was always trying to be the realist, you know, not wanting me to lose my life, chasing a dream, you know, for the next 10 years and, and losing everything by just sitting around wanting to do something. But I always tell him, you don't understand. I'm going to make it. You're going to make it. I'm going to make it. And so he tested me again saying, well, what's your vision now? Angus? He wanted to know, cause I said, Oh, I don't think I, I don't think I'm good enough. He goes, what's your vision? And, he, and right away I could tell, I could tell him back. I see myself playing. I'm going to be a pro football player. He said, okay, so what can you do about it? And it was my, my family really triggered that in me to remind myself what my vision is, not, not what my reality is at this moment, you know, not, not how, not how bad and how sorry I am for myself. And, you know, how could they do this to me? What's your vision? What are you going to do about it? And, and that was big for me because I got, I hung up the phone and I called my agent right away and I said, okay, well, let's start calling teams. I, I got to get on somewhere. Let's go. That's what I can do. Right. I can't, I can't do anything about being cut right now. I got to do something. And so, you know, we, we, we called around, called around, called around, and, and I don't want to use the word begged, but. We, we talked Montreal into bringing me on on the practice roster. So here I am, a number one draft pick getting cut from, from, the, from the team that drafted me without ever playing a game for them. And now I'm sitting on a practice roster from another team you know, down the road, but thinking to myself, where am I? But it was my, my family and then reiterating my own self-talk to saying, well, what can I do? Don't worry about what's happened. What can I do? And so I went back to work at getting to practice early. Uh, working on my techniques, working out, taking care of myself, trying to improve, trying to learn, trying to maximize the opportunity that I had instead of complaining about the opportunity that I thought I should have. You know, I wasn't on, I wasn't going to be a starter. I wasn't even making the roster. I was a practice roster guy, but I could still get better, learn from the players. I could take this time to 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 build my craft because I, I also gained a little perspective saying, you know, Sure, I was the number one pick. That was wonderful. But looking back objectively, Mitch, I didn't play football until the 11th grade. Never got on the field till the last game that year. So really, I played grade 12, a redshirt in my first year in college. Played a redshirt freshman year. Came back to my senior year. I played like three years of football in my life. You know, I, and I wasn't a freak athlete. So I needed a lot of work. I look back and I wasn't really pro football ready. I got drafted high. That was great. But I understood I need more work. I wasn't going to sit here and complain that I should be a star. I need to work. So 
actually that year on the practice roster in Montreal gave me that time to learn this game from some great ones to to have the time to do all those practice reps to to get better at my craft and study it and then week 15 happens and uh i get called into the general manager's office and i go oh boy i guess i'm getting cut again this is great and jim pop the general manager of montreal says no thanks we're trading you and i'll never forget what i said to him because i didn't care at this point i said jim i hope you're trading me to bc because i don't want to go anywhere else anymore like i'm tired of this and he goes nope today's your lucky day you're going to bc i'm good at least i get a free flight home that's yeah. what i thought at least i get a free flight home. <laughs> so i hit home to bc and I was on their practice roster for the last three weeks of the season. So, so wrapping this up, you look at a 13-year career and championships and all-stars. I, my first year in the league, I bounced. I was on three separate teams and never played a down. I mean, that's a journeyman story to begin with. That doesn't give you a lot of hope, but I always had that ability wow. to go, you know, what can I do today? I'm still here. Let's keep getting better. And, 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 you know, that's what all I can control. I can't control someone's going to trade me or cut me or move me or not play me, but I can control how hard I work in this moment. And it's fascinating. I think this is a universal statement. If you do that more often than not, good things will eventually happen to you. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And obviously, you know, you get, you know, again, we'll, you know, you work your way up and 2004, Obviously, you had that first great cup, but it was it was a loss. But I'm, I'm sure lessons were won. But then, great, 2006, obviously, is, was you know your uh, I believe and 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 how the universe kind of rewards you against the uh, the the Montreal Alouettes. Yeah, and uh, you know you're that's your your first uh, your first championship ring. Um, so you know you you got, kind of go on. You know, again, we're not, but you, you, 2011 was your second. And, uh, you know, and I, I believe, uh, I'm not sure, Doug Brown was still, because it was against the. Yeah, uh, it was his play. last game. It, it was, was his last game. Wow. He retired after that. Yeah. And uh, Avi Khan as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so, but obviously 2011, that was at three years before you actually, you, you announced your retirement. That was three years. Well, it was uh, two more seasons. So I retired in the off season of fourteen. So it was two more seasons. I uh, twelve and thirteen. I was still in the roster. Then the spring of fourteen, I announced my retirement before the fourteen season. Yeah. And uh, so, how, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Mitch. And so, kind of retirement, right? So again, you know what? What was that like? Because obviously, there's a couple things. Obviously, a lot of pro athletes find it hard to 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 make that transition, but I have a sense just because of what I've seen, you know what what you are doing. Almost your your past has really helped you kind of move on from that transition um, and kind of almost use that as a springboard to kind of go to the next level. Is that is that a correct statement or? Yeah, I guess I, yeah, and I don't want to say it wasn't a springboard in the way that it was planned to use football for my next career. What I, I, I have a, I have a blog post or an article, if you will, that I'm just final editing on uh, knowing when to retire, and it's kind of taking you through my mindset uh, of knowing when the time is right because I think you're right. I played with enough guys and I think people in any career forget football that, that you do for a long time, that you're passionate about, that you were successful with very hard to know when to move on and very hard. I think to move on without 
having, I don't want to use the word regret, but struggles, maybe struggles, right? Like there's obviously a struggle for leaving something that you were, you enjoyed, you were great at. It gave you, it gave you, uh, you know, a sense of worth and happiness and all that good stuff. But I, again, I remember my early years with the Lions and after I finally made it and I was kind of becoming a starter and, you know, a bit of a star and somebody, and I kind of achieved my dream. And I remember seeing some guys in the team, some of the older guys, and they were playing, but they weren't really happy anymore playing. And you'd kind of talk to them and learn. And it was a lot of, you know, they were playing because they didn't know what else to do right now. And so they kept playing because this is what they know. They can, they can still do it. They're going to get paid to still do it. And it's where their identity lies. And I remember sort of seeing that as a warning sign that I didn't want to become that person. I didn't mm. want to play because I didn't know what else to do or maybe better stated because I was too scared to do anything else because I built my whole identity around being a football player. And, and I told myself, I don't know how to do anything else and I don't want to do anything else. This is, this is why people love me. This is why I'm a somebody. And I, I, I started cautioning to that, to that belief. And so I kept playing until, until, that, until my vision wasn't clear anymore. Until it was kind of going, do I really want to keep doing this? Just because a contract's offered and just because I can and just because it's a great job and just because it's fun to play football, do I still really, 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 really want to do this? Or, uh, you know, do I, do I want to do something else now? And I was really fortunate to play long enough that I think I exhausted my vision. I, I you know, I, I, I ran out of – and this is not to sound – arrogant in any way I, I ran out of boxes to tick you know you you win the great cups you get your all-stars you play all these years and all of a sudden uh, you're the old guy in the locker room and i remember kind of going I, I think i want i think i want to do something more or different more change i have done enough i think i've done this enough i i and i remember thinking uh, am i still doing this for that same passion or am i doing it because why not and and yeah. i didn't want to be that guy and it, it became down to I had nothing more to prove to myself. I had no more uh, vision to fill in. There was no more coloring of, of, of the vision. It, it was complete in my mind. And now it was, you know, it's like the performer uh, that his act is too long. You know, it was a great show, but they, they played too long. And they should have just cut it after the first encore. But they kept going because they didn't know how to stop. And I just didn't want to be that guy. And I wanted to leave with nothing but great memories and never going, you know, you should have stopped earlier. And, and you know if you really are self-aware, people know when it's time to move on. They just fight either ego or fear or pride. They hang, hang on for whatever their reason is. And I, I remember I promised myself I'm not going to do that. And so, yeah, I, I had I had uh, massive back surgery. I had to get three discs almost completely taken on my back. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a check time. I was 37 years old kind of going, why am I still doing this? And I didn't – Mitch, I didn't have a good answer. And so I go, okay, well, then, then let's move on. And – you know, I, I had to prove to myself that I'm more than a football player, that I can do more than this, and that my worth in this world isn't my ability to be in a squat position, snapping a ball between my legs and pushing people out of the way. I, I can't make that define my value to this world. There's just no way. I, I don't. I, and I can't hang on to that. Like that's all I am. So it was time to. It was time to, uh, I don't know if the word is recreate, but time to uh, grow and, and, and adapt and evolve and move on to other things. And it's interesting because, you know, I'll, I'll share something. Uh, you know, I mentioned to you when we first talked that I, I just finished a, a personal sabbatical. I actually, you know, you know uh, took a break from work uh, and just 
kind of wanted to reset and see where do I want to be for the next like five to seven, 10 years. And like you said, I, you know, I've been a marketing professional for a very long time, again, for, for like eight, you know, 15 plus years. So you, you, your identity starts to be kind of wrapped up in your profession, like you had just mentioned. And, uh, it's as, as scary as it is to kind of take a break and, and kind of take a break from, you know, that, that work. It's also, an amazing time to kind of reset and kind of reflect and kind of use that as a springboard. And, and like I said, so I kind of get, I understand, I personally completely understand what you're talking about. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you gotta kind of give up the good to go for the great. Uh, Big time. It's it. And it's really, I think, I think that's really well said, Mitch, because I think what most people do is once they've accomplished something great, it's too scary to take out the grease board wiper and start again. They would, it's easier and safer to just hang on to that forever because you have it already. Right. And it's, it's, it's hard to wipe this board and go, go be 15 years old again for a day, a week, a month, whatever you need and, and get that blank slate and redraw a new vision. But that's terrifying because this one is pretty good and it's working, but really is it anymore? Or are you just forcing it to still work because you don't, you don't want to go there and have to go through that maybe painful or scary process of going now what? And, but I, you know, I'm wired a little differently. I kind of like that place. I kind of like that place where anything's possible again, instead of going, I got to keep doing this because without this I'm screwed or I'm nothing, or I don't know what that is. And I think that is a dangerous place to put yourself in where without your career, you don't know who you are. And I think the most important thing people can do, and I, I, I can't stress this enough to young athletes or young people today with the rise of social media is, you know, people tell you to, to build your brand. And I, I can't stress enough that you got to be very careful how you phrase that to yourself, that what you do can't define who you are. Because the second that happens, you are chained to that forever. If what you do, your, your job title or your business that you've built or your, your sport that you play very well, if that is who you've now built your brand around you, you are now prisoner to that. And without it now, you, you, you does nothing. And so I've really tried to stress to young athletes, and I guess this goes to any, any young successful person, you know, it's, it's not what you do that defines who you are. It's how you do it and that how you do things is applicable to anything. So, you know, it's not being a football player that I was proud of. It was how hard I worked at it and was able to work with other people and plan and prepare and all those, you know, things you talk about. And you can do that doing anything. And so that's who I am. And you can plug that into any outlet you want and experience new things while still being the same person. But if being a star football player is who you are, well, now you're screwed. Because when that's over, what are you? And, and there's that void that, you, you know, I know you alluded to, but I've seen a lot of players go through it. No different than when a business owner sells their business, when that's who they are and they have mm-hmm. all the money in the bank. But there's a void there because they've allowed their, their brand or, or what they did title wise to become them. And I think that is an extremely dangerous position to put yourself in. Uh, and that's why a lot of people can't let go because without it, they're, they're lost. And that's, you know, it's not about to me. I caution myself about ever presenting myself as a football star or a football player. No, I'm just saying because I, I play football. I'm proud of it. I enjoy it. But that's not who I am. So I'm able to, or I was able to, uh, uh, you know, pull out and go into something else. And I haven't changed. It's just, I'm just doing something different now. It's okay. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're, you're being authentic to yourself and, you know, you can see it. Like, obviously, you know, I've watched a couple of your talks uh, and you're looking at right and, and, you, and you're out there. 
and you're you know to me you're you're Angus Reed you're you're doing like you know you're a very powerful speaker but you know I remember you in the locker room being a powerful speaker and I so you you're exactly you're just being yourself using yeah, your just abilities they're just outlets they're and outlets, you've right? gone through this trans like you know you've lost you've lost obviously you know the weight and like I said, you're, you're totally transforming yourself. And I remember going through that process myself and it's interesting. I, I, you know, I've said this to my wife too, you know, it almost, when I was done and I, I only played for 10, you played for a lot longer, but I remember it, it took me a year for my body to actually feel better. Yeah. And I remember, uh, when I was, I think I was at my, my max 265. I remember walking up the stairs at Simon Fraser, like huffing and puffing and, and almost couldn't wait till I could. <laughs> get, get this weight off and, 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 you know, become, come a little bit leaner. But, uh, I think that's important. I think it, it's what you're saying is, is, is key is that, you know, a lot of people wrap themselves up in identity and they have to kind of, they have to really, you know, be, be ready to kind of sacrifice who they are for who they actually could become. And that's uh, and that's key. It's hard, right? Mitch. And I think, I think there's, I feel bad for a lot of young athletes because, for a lot of them, it's not their fault. If, if you've grown up in a household or a sports environment, let's say, where you've been praised since you were young for being great at a sport, and you're impressionable, you're 10, 12, 14, 15, 16 years old, whatever, right? And so you're learning your value to these people is in scoring touchdowns or scoring goals or, or whatever you may be great at. And when you're young and impressionable, and that's what you're getting rewarded for or praised for again and again, there's there you create your worth. Right. This is why people love me. Absolutely. And then if you're able to keep going now, now fans and, and other people become your quote unquote friends and, and they want to do things with you and hang around you. And you are associating because you're scoring goals and winning all stars, winning championships. And so now your brand or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, your worth or your identity becomes your value to the world is in scoring goals and touchdowns or, or whatever athletic pursuit you're able to do or whatever business thing you're doing. And that can, becomes very hard now to separate. So. You know, the greatest thing I think you can have is if you're lucky, like I am, you have a family that, you know, you win a great cup on, on Sunday, you come home for Monday dinner. I'm just the fifth son of theirs and, and it's great. We won, but you know, you're part of a family and you're, you're, you're Angus, you're who I am and that's who you are. And we're proud of what you did last night, but that's, you know, that you're not, you're not a superstar because of what you did. You worked hard at things and that's your job. And my brother is a doctor, my brother's a school teacher. They're all doing the same greatness at whatever their chosen field is. And that, that gives you perspective. If you're not lucky to have a family like that. I hope coaches are smart enough to understand what you reward children or, or youth for is the effort they put into what they do because that is something that they can understand is is in their control and will always be in their control. When they when they move past being able to score goals or play a sport, you know, they can always realize that their worth is when, what they're bringing to the table, uh, how hard they want to work and participate and, and, and join in and improve the situation or whatever it may be. And I think that's, again, it comes back to my talk on high school football and, and, and amateur sports. And the real power of these things are to teach people or kids that, you know, life is about working hard at something, contributing, making the situation better, working with other people. And these are just outlets. You know, that's not who you are. It's just an opportunity to develop these things that, that really matter, that what you should be really proud of at the end of the day. Not that you won the game because you can't always win all the games. So you can't let that dictate whether you're uh, proud or happy with yourself. But you can always work really hard at something and commit totally and give it your all and be authentic and all those things that, to me, nobody can ever take from you. And they should be 
Those are the things that should be praised and rewarded because that's real. Uh, winning championships, uh, making all-stars, they come and go. And we, we emphasize that part too much. I, I think it is important to have barometers because people need to know if you're winning or losing. And you, you need obstacles to, to – or you need standards to chase. And I love that stuff. But at the end, what really matters is what those did for you. They, they, they made you a better person. They, they made you learn how to pursue and, and, and to commit and to struggle and sacrifice. Those were just exterior uh, motivations to bring out the best in you. And, and I think that's the part that we need to make people – be proud of not the trophy, not the trophies themselves, but the work that it took to get them. Cause that's the real stuff. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like I said, just hearing you like go, doing everything you've done, you know, that self-awareness and humility that, that you have, like I can, I can feel it. It's, it's, uh, yeah, again, I don't, I don't know if it's something that can be taught, but you know, you definitely, it's interesting because not a lot of people, I know a lot of people who have, you know, done half the things that you've done and, and, you know, have like their ego has kind of taken them for, for a spin. But, yeah. uh, what's, what I'd like to do is just kind of move into a couple quick fire questions. Sure. Um, because I, we've talked about, you know, failure a lot, uh, you know, and how do you look at failure and kind of a past failure and as a past failure set you up for, uh, I guess, I won't even, I'll skip that because um, we've kind of talked about that, but do you have a, f a favorite failure? I, I, I would say my, my favorite failure was getting cut my first, uh, my first pro camp. And if you want to call that a failure, you know, I, I was, I, I built, my ego got built pretty good there when I got drafted number one. And I kind of figured all my obstacles were behind me. And for a moment, I was whatever, 23 years old, and here I am. I made it. I've I've slayed all the dragons, and I'm I'm unstoppable now. And you no, know, I thought I had validation. Number one draft pick, and look what I've overcome. I've done it. And I think you you talk about humility. Uh, that one right there, you know, not being good enough, and I wasn't. I, was, I wasn't blaming anybody. I wasn't good enough. I had objectivity to look back. Oh well, what did I think? I could walk in and start as a center in professional football. Come on. And I think that was the one right there that was my final kind of reminder how much work this really takes and stop thinking you're so great. Just get back to work. Like what a waste of energy to sit there and toot your own horn when that could be time spent getting better. And so that's what it's going to take. And that taught me that lesson that I, I, I didn't forget throughout my career and I hopefully don't forget for the rest of my life. Well, again, it, it – you know, we've talked about this a little bit, just going through that, uh, those, you know, you're at high, low, it's kind of brought you to, to a neutral ground where you can actually yeah. say, you know, you can be humble even after all of these things. And a lot of people, even at younger ages, they have this entitlement because really they haven't been punched in the face. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. No, they've been told how great they are. And, and, you know, everybody wins all the time and everyone's the greatest player and, and nobody does anything wrong. And that's a scary setup for somebody because, as you as you know, let's say you get all the way to the business world before you've had that punch. That first punch knock you out cold. Exactly. You got you got to build some battle scars, right? You got to be willing to look. I, I think I said this in a talk one time. There's value in sucking, okay, at something because you don't learn a lot from being told you're great. You don't learn a lot from easy wins. You don't learn a lot from uh, you know just doing great the first time out. You you learn when you screw up, when you get punched hard. You learn when you get humiliated. And you learn when you get exposed, right? You learn when you get exposed because now you have to make a decision in life. Am I going to, am I going to do everything I can to avoid getting exposed again? Or am I going to look at, I look at where I got exposed and go, 
okay, that's where I got to go because that's where I got to improve. You know, I, I, I was so lucky to have a great positional coach in Dan Durazio. And I, I don't know, we don't have time to touch on this, I don't think, but I have a book coming out shortly on my whole life with him, my 11 years of pro career of one coach. And his goal of every single drill was to expose weaknesses in us so we could get to where I might break down so we could fix that so I could actually improve instead of just padding my strengths. Now, when game time came, his job was to obviously maximize our strengths and minimize our weaknesses so we could win the game. But in drill training, it was to find my weaknesses, expose them so we could improve me as a player. And that's powerful. And people don't want to go there because it's humbling and it sucks to find your problems and to find your areas of, of weakness. But if you actually care about improving as a human being, you want to get there fast and often and have, and have people that care about you to get you there so we can get you better. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and again, I no, sometimes nothing's binary. Things are, are absolute. Sometimes things uh, are flexible. Like you had mentioned, I, I feel like doubling down on your strengths in certain situations, like you know, using game like in during game day. Yes, but but, but during practice, uh, going the other way and really look at how do I fix my weaknesses to a certain degree. Again, not not so when it counts, you're 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 focused on your weaknesses, but you know you do have to spend time there. I, I kind of feel exactly. like it's, it's a bit of both. Um, well, here's the thing, Mitch, and I I couldn't agree with you more. Like come game time, you play to your strengths, and whether game time is me giving a keynote or a business presentation or the game itself, you play to your strengths, right? You're gonna win because your your good is better than their good, and 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 if you have a coach or a game plan, your game plan should always be maximize your strengths and, and and protect your weaknesses so you can go win that battle. But when you're preparing, you should always be preparing to look for points where you could get exposed. Right, you're always trying to shore up your weaknesses in preparation mode. Whether that me be whether that's me planning for my keynotes, you know, whether that's learning how to pause longer, speak slower. But come come showtime, you play to your strengths because that's where your confidence lies and that's where you got to go to win. But you know, when you want to improve, just building your strengths again and again and again and again builds ego and it builds blindness and you, you neglect blind spots and you got to realize, and I learned this from football, if anyone really wants to beat you, they're going to study your game film again and again and again, whether that's football, whether that's your business proposals, whether that's whatever you're doing, they're going to study it and go, where can we beat them? And they're going to mm -hmm. go, we're not going to beat them strength to strength. We're going to find that little Achilles heel right there and we'll crush it. And if I've never looked at it myself, I'll be blind to that opening. And you get crushed. And that's where, you know, the best film you can do of yourself is, yeah, you watch the other player and you look for theirs. But you look at yourself through their lens and go, where am I weak here? Where, where would I beat me? And you need coaches. You need people that can be objective because I think that's the hardest thing to be with yourself is objective. You're always subjective, right? So it's good to have that extra eyes going, you know, whatever it may be. You know, the, you know here's an issue here. And you go, ah, who cares? I'm so good over here. It doesn't matter. And then the ego creep creeps in and the laziness and the, the pride and all that other nonsense that, that kills guys. And, and so I think it's important. You know, you, you, you shore up your weaknesses in training, but come game time, yeah, absolutely. You play to your strengths. That's where your confidence is, and that's where, that's where you'll perform the most fluid. No, that's good advice. So what's the, um, kind of what's the most misunderstood thing about you that other people might say? Uh, misunderstood? Well, probably the one thing that, I'm not a typical football guy in the traditional sense of what people think. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not a big, I don't like violence. I don't like contact. I mean, sorry. I'm not, I don't like contact. I'm not a violent guy. I'm not a guy that wants to go around and smash people. I don't, I, and maybe that was part of my transition being easier for some. I don't crave, uh, you know, extreme contact. I love the sport of football. I love the technique behind it. I love the strategy behind it. I love learning how to beat the other player, but I, I didn't need an outlet to, uh, 
to get my aggra- – I'm not an aggressive human being. I, I'm very mild-mannered. I'm actually a softy. You know, shoot, I listen to softy music. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an artist by trade. I'd rather sit and draw with a pencil and, 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 and listen to listen to soft music, right? Like I'm, a, I'm a gentle guy. Uh, I'm, I'm a thinker. I'm not a, I'm not a raw, raw traditional football guy that that people would think of that just wants to go around, uh, you know, smashing guys and having an outlet to to get my anger out. I'm, a, I'm a really mild, reserved, uh, pretty laid back guy. That's interesting. Uh, is there anything that you've actually changed your your mind about uh, lately? Uh, I, well, I've, let me put it. I, I've just reaffirmed how little I really know in this world. <laughs> I used to think I, I, you know, there's a danger in success. You learn to think you have the answers. And, you know, I, I remember I started keynoting, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago to schools while I was playing. And, you know, I'm trying to reiterate the formula and template for success. And you, you think you know it because you're there. And what I'm learning now is how much more there is to learn from everybody else. And I'm learning to sh- trying anyways, when I'm not doing my keynotes or podcasts to shut up and listen to other people and stop thinking I have the answers and start learning more. Uh, it, that's one of my struggles. I, 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 I like to just tell everybody how to do things and I'm, I'm learning to stop giving advice and start learning more, start learning, stop thinking, you know, things and, and, and start learning from so many great people around you. And that's been, uh, it's been a great way to grow because leaving football reminded me how big the world is outside of that locker room and how little I know of it and, and how much more I want to learn. Well, I think that's, a perfect place to end. Uh, stop thinking you know everything, and uh, and, and you know keep start learning. Lear- and keep learning, man. Is there uh, uh, is there any way, like uh, place where people can kind of find you on on the interwebs? Sure, uh, my website is angusreed 64com I, I keynote all the time for for corporations, uh, schools, teams. Uh, I have a book coming out this fall. It's called Thank You Coach. It's a long, it's a 200 page story of my 11 year relationship with my longtime offensive line coach, Dan Durazio. And it's the power of mentorship. Uh, it's the power of, of using sports to teach life. Uh, my next TEDx talk called Mastering the Skill of Trust. That should be out any week, I think. Uh, you can get me on Twitter, Angus Reed 64. You can get me on Instagram, Angus underscore Reed 64. Uh, that should do. I mean, I'm yeah. LinkedIn for your business people, but yeah, I'm easy to find. And I'll and I'll put all that in, in the sure. show notes as well, man. Listen, uh, really, really appreciate uh, you you taking the time today to to catch up and 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 share what you're up to. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Thanks, Mitch. It's been a great great time. Been too long, my friend. Too long. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Over and out, man. See you, bud. Well, that's it for this session. For those of you who made it this far, thank you so much. Quick reminder, the show notes will be available on my website at mitchellfanning.com. And at this stage of the game, I really only have two small requests. Number one, I'd really love to get your feedback. And you can do that by either going to iTunes and leaving a review or contacting me via email or social. Just use the hashtag MitchCast. Again, all of this can be found on my website. Because like I said before, it's really going to be your feedback that's going to give me the oxygen to keep me going in the early stages and to improve the show. Because ultimately, I want this to be something that you'll also get value from. Last but not least, if you know somebody who might be interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out and let me know as well. That's it. That's all. Until next time, thank you so much.